if you're a man and you can ju- you can freely cry in front of other men, it's a fucking superpower. Mm-hmm. And I said, Mike, what do you mean? And he's just like, well, I just like take out my beating heart and hand it to him and like ask them to take care of it for a second. If you're not willing to have the conversation where everybody's guts get like put out on the table and and examined, then, well, it's not an interesting conversation because no one can grow from shallow conversation. It's showtime, everybody! Showtime! You've been living in a dream world, Neo. This is the world as it exists today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Listen, we talking about practice. They peed on the dude's rug. Donnie, you're out of your element. I see, you think this has nothing to do with you. Don't ever trash talk black Jesus. This is the Adventure Stash with Payson McKelvin. Hello and welcome back to the Adventure Stash. And welcome to our all-new sponsor, Whoop. I'm sure many of y'all will have heard of Whoop. Some of y'all may even already be using Whoop, because I know we have a very athletic audience, generally speaking. But um, Whoop is the super cool wearable that basically tracks all kinds of physiological metrics that give you personalized insight into your recovery, how much strain you're putting on your body day to day, and most importantly, a recovery score so you can more intelligently plan the way you train and honestly, the way you live your life, period. I got a whoop for the first time a couple of weeks ago, along with my girlfriend, Nicole, and we have had so much fun with them. We are honestly a little bit nerdy about it. We wake up every morning and compare our recovery scores, compare our strain scores, and having that extra data has really influenced the way I'm living my life already for the better. You can get as much out of this system as you want, really. The app, honestly, is uh, really, really involved and in-depth. It took me a little bit to get used to because there's so much to do there. But you can do everything from log uh, a personal journal of how much alcohol you drank, how you feel, whether you felt stressed, uh, what sort of added activities you did when you ate, whether you viewed a screen right before you went to bed, all these extra metrics to kind of track and uh, develop your understanding of your recovery. Or you can just let the whoop do all the work for you and give you this recovery score every day, strain score every day. And it will even detect when you're doing an activity. So it's this, for anyone that hasn't seen one, it's this very svelte little wristband that frankly, I forget that I'm even wearing, which is nice because to really get all the benefits, you should wear it all the time. Um, It's this felt little wristband that has all kinds of crazy technology in it, like an accelerometer, these crazy lights that read your, your pulse. It gives you HRV information, which is heart rate variability, gives you respiratory information. All these numbers get crunched. All of this huge, honestly, amount of data gets crunched by the app on your phone and gives you recommendations on training, how recovered you are, like I've said, all that sort of thing. And it auto-detects when you're doing an activity. So as soon as I leave on a bike ride, I'm recording it on my GPS device on my bike also, but my Whoop knows when I'm riding my bike. My ele- my heart rate gets elevated, uh, the speed I'm moving, 
goes up and it's so insanely accurate that it can tell the difference between road cycling and mountain biking. It's insane. Um, anyway, I've really had a lot of fun wearing a whoop for the first time and it's already benefiting my lifestyle hugely. If you're interested in getting a whoop as well, you can go to whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com slash Payson to get 15% off. This week on the podcast, Mark Twight is back. Uh, We have some all-new guests coming, but before that, we decided to roll it way back and publish an episode that I recorded with Mark back in February. And at first, I thought it might be kind of a lost episode because we recorded it a while ago and then COVID happened and it kind of got shelved. Uh, But we went back and listened to it and Lily, my dear editor, recommended that we run with it because a lot of what we talk about, despite the fact that we didn't know COVID was coming and everything else, in true Mark Twight fashion is just kind of timeless and really applicable to the world that we are in today. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Mark Twight that we recorded all the way back in February, um, but I feel is still uh, very much worthy and and a conversation that I really enjoyed. Thank you all for listening. I forget, when did I text you about this? Two days ago? Something like that. Yeah. I always do that to you. Um, <laughs> and I liked your response. It was something, I think you said, do you listen to Tool? Uh, and I said, hell yes. I said, hell yes. <laughs> and then the next thing I did, this is kind of embarrassing, but I did it. I Googled Tool shows SLC. <laughs> oh. Because I thought, wait a sec. Like, does he really does have he, something of his sleep here that I bought? Oh, that one. <laughs> I was like, okay. Whoa. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was almost... I was almost as excited. I am as as excited because you uh, basically have an idea for a talking prompt. This is one of the this is one of the other only times where I've shown up to a podcast, quote unquote, completely unprepared and been very feel very good about how prepared I am, so to speak. Um, this is the third time we've done one of these. Yeah, which is wild. Yeah, um, when you said third time guest, I was like. I don't want to wear out my welcome. And then I was thinking, okay, I, I, we shouldn't repeat ourselves. Right. I don't remember exactly what we covered and didn't, you know, like what was recorded, what wasn't, you know, a lot of territory. But then I thought like, well, maybe if we had a, a, a takeoff point, um, then we wouldn't end up with, you know, covering terrain that had already been covered should uh, I mean, it would be completely different anyway, but, um, so when the, the new tool tool record finally came out after 15 years or whatever, and people were like, Oh my God, it's amazing. Like, you know, talking, talking, talking. So I, I started listening and, um, had, had listened to the track invincible only a couple of times, found it too hard to listen to. And then, uh, Shortly thereafter, like probably three days after I got the record, Anson Fogel sent me a direct message via Instagram with the lyrics to that song. And he goes, I come from a punk background, you know, and so this prog stuff, you know, blah, blah, blah. He said, but this is powerful and heavy and I'm sure you will understand. Mm -hmm. Because it's... Remind me when this was again, just so I have a... Three months ago, probably. Or no, a bit more. And it's and it's funny because like the 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 concept of 
you know, changing identity and and the notion of struggling to remain relevant. It's a powerful concept. And you see people do it and do it badly. Those are the ones that, that we notice, you know, shouting from the rooftops about their their unremarkable whatever. Um, I think we notice the, only notice the people who do it badly. But then, you know, like I look at it in my and I examine pretty regularly. Is this what I'm trying to do? Yes, I had a voice when I was climbing. Yes, I had a voice, you know, in the part of my career, which was trained in military, you know, and respected in that sort of fitness world and that kind of thing. And then the training for movies and stuff like that still had a voice to, you know, is this and, and what now? Am I just trying to convince people not to look away or not to, you know, to to stop? I examine and so far I've come up with like, no, this is real. This is not a cry for I'm going to spend a lot of years uh, thinking and addressing, I guess, the topic of identity of and which starts out with, you know, like, who are you when you don't do the thing that made you who you are any longer, any longer. And um, and it just makes me curious because I'm looking at it from a particular perspective and it makes me curious sometimes to ask people who are still doing the thing that helps that has helped create their identity and shape it and effectively, you know, as a, com a top competitor, you know, your career and the discipline that, you know, the tool that you use, um, it demands an enormous amount of you and it can't help but shape give you a bit of a, I'm going to put air quotes up, moral compass for things about for like, sure. yeah. and so that's where I kind of wanted to go with the, with the conversation was just like, how far ahead are you looking? And you already, you already kind of answered it. Like, okay, the, the, the podcast, those things like, yeah, they, they, they can actually coexist with the pro cycling career. Yeah. Um, and then also give you a, uh, an easy off ramp should you choose to focus more on that. Yeah, yeah, it's such a fascinating topic, <clears throat> and it's. I started thinking about it for the first time in the last six months, um, and not in regards to my trajectory or arc or anything like that. It was some things that my dad said, and then a couple of other people I came in contact with. Um, just a couple weeks ago, I recorded an unreleased show. I recorded, uh, with, uh, a Navy SEAL mm -hmm. who is one of the, I, I really, really like him. He's one of the, um, Red Bull, uh, high performance. I don't want to say coaches, but he's brought in now and then to run these, these all day camps with the athletes mm -hmm. to get them outside their comfort zone and basically make them be willing to be really bad at something in hopes of getting better at their sport, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah. And he's, he's interesting in that he's taken on that role and his past career as a Navy SEAL is part of why he got that role. But he's so, so uh, resistant to quote unquote pimping the trident, as nice. he puts it, that um, he doesn't like to talk about it a whole lot. But um, we talked about his transition from being at the pinnacle of that world mm -hmm. to 
a civilian life. And um, he, he spoke about it so plainly. And uh, his delivery was, was so day-to-day, -day, and yet the words were so significant that they really caught me off guard. But he basically said, yeah, I had a gun in, myself, a gun in my mouth, and I almost shot myself. Um, and he just said it nonchalantly. I was like, whoa, 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 okay. Hold on. One sec. Uh, and he said, yeah, everyone goes through transitions. I think it's pretty normal for someone to get to that point or get close to that point. And uh, I realized just how we probably all go through transitions like that. And they all have different forms. I mean, maybe you're an ER doctor for 40 years. Maybe you're a Navy SEAL for two years and you have a whole, whole lot of years ahead of you where you need to figure out whether it was okay for that to be the pinnacle in some ways or <laughs> find a way that that wasn't the pinnacle, yeah. like all these, all these different things. So, or, or to have it be one of several experiences, transformative experiences that you have in your lifetime. Exactly. Not make it like, that's what I was trying to say. Exactly. Way. That's yeah. what I was trying to say. And so all of this is a very long buildup for me to say that, uh, I've really wanted to be, I've really wanted to talk to you about this also because you have had similarities, I think, or it's possible to assume that there's been some similarities there. And, um, yeah. Do you, where are you with that right now? I mean, what, wh what has that process been like? Cause I've gleaned just enough to assume that maybe there were some really hard times, but I also feel like you've, you're doing some pretty damn cool stuff right now and you've got to be in pretty good shape. Uh, most of the time these days Let's too. Just say most of the time, yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, I just, what, what's it, what's it been like? I mean, how, how did you stop? And then what was next? And was it a stop? I mean, it w That's, All right. <laughs> Guess we're going to the deep end of the pool. <laughs> um, Martin, you know what they say about the third date. Yeah. So like, this is, <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is it. Here we go. Uh, I, I mean, I'll, the, the, yeah, it has been difficult. So in, it was year 2000, I've been basically climbing as my profession for 15 years, essentially. Um, you know, my last straight job would have been fucking maybe 85 or something like that in really. And, and, uh, um, and I decided like, okay, there's been a logical trajectory to this point. I know what the next step is. I'm now 39 years old. I can't take that next step, which is, um, which was, you know, basically from going, doing these, you know, big single push kind of things that we talked about. I think we got to it on the second episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, <big> <laughs> uh, and, um, and go to the Himalayas to do those things, which essentially meant a three month absence from life. Mm. You know, I had at that time, you know, wife, dog, property, work actual job, you know, kind of thing. So it's, it didn't make sense to take that next step. So what do I do? Well, not repeat myself is what I, what I don't do. And I can, and I 
didn't get away from climbing altogether because with military training, um, I think it had me going out. I was uh, back in the mountains a lot. I mean, still, again, in 2008 and 2009, had two different military trips to the top of McKinley. And um, so I would still go out, but nothing on nothing that was transformative, nothing that I considered. I mean, obviously you can slip, have a slip and fall and, you know, die in really easy terrain, generally where it happens actually. Um, so it, it, it wasn't in relation to the risk necessarily, but it was in relation when I said, wasn't doing the things that would change me because these things weren't difficult enough. They weren't new discoveries in terms of a type of, you know, a way of going about doing things or whatever. And, um, so I, I've spent, so it's been 20 years since I quit and I thought at some point it was going to take 20 years to recover mm. from a 20 year climbing career. It may take longer <laughs> because, you know, and I, and I, I have, I guess, convinced myself at certain points that I'm, over it, I'm good. I'm comfortable with who I am. That that is part of my past, and I don't need to go there, dwell on it, you know, use it as a reference point. But the last little bit, it you know, it's it's been coming back around because it's what it's conversations with people. It was talking, you know, doing a presentation about the Refuge book um, at the Banff. Uh, mountain book and film festival um, running into old climbing partners there mm -hmm. people from you know that that past so uh, all that to say that um, I could never really get away from my identity as a climber and just you know, not for lack of trying and now in the last little bit, I've been, you know, like, okay, well, I'm not comfortable being completely cut off from that. Not in the sense of community. I mean, I'm not going to any club meetings or anything, really. But just from having the, the shorthand in communication available from it comes from only comes from shared experience. So the, my identity as a climber keeps crawling up my leg <laughs> like, <laughs> lately. And, and, and it, I, I gotta say that it, um, that feels better than the, you know, the attempts at absolute reject, absolute rejection mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. It is interesting. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. This is the first year that I've started to think about it uh, in my own trajectory, too, because all of a sudden I know many people that are older than me will laugh. But I turned 27 um, just a few days ago. All and right. for some reason, happy the, birthday. Thank you. For some and reason, the number 27 feels a lot, lot bigger than 26. <laughs> Um, like the jump from 26 to 27 feels more significant than 25 to 26. Okay. And I don't know if it's how I feel physically or, or what it is, but this is the, that number for some reason, again, you you can laugh, but that's the first time I've thought, okay, you know, we're, we're in the middle of it now. Um, yeah. it's no longer the, 
the acceleration phase to an extent yep is over you are up to speed up to speed and what are we going to do here now yeah and but not also that far off but comfortable enough at speed it appears to have the extra margin to be able to look around and do other things sure. hence sure, sure, sure. this podcast and some other stuff and if and and i th- I, I think that like that period of intense the acceleration phase, I think you have to be completely focused on it, mm. um, or you don't get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you didn't notice. Uh, like, like the fun yeah, part too, though, is to an extent, like the acceleration phase. I think is more psychological because I mean, last week uh, I was setting my all-time best power numbers in preseason training. So it's like, I'm athletically, I'm still getting better, but it's, right. it's a psychological adjustment. I think it's like the, uh, maybe the, yeah, I don't know. It's man, it's hard. This, this shit is hard. It's weird. And I'm not even to the hard part yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, and I think the, but the, the what next question Let's just say I believe we live in an era when that question comes up more frequently than it would have 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Do you think because that's good? Was, I think it puts a lot of pressure on us as individuals, um, you know, because there is no uh, really sorry to break it to you. If, if you were hoping for this future, you're not ever going to leave your work at work at 5 p.m., you've you know with the trajectory that you've had so far you have made yourself unhirable in a sense or like you can't you couldn't be press fit into that type of thing and um and there was a period of time a period in my life when i thought man if i could if i just did this job where we imported mountain climbing equipment marked it up for no reason because that's what middlemen do and then resell it then i wouldn't care about it enough and i could leave that you know work at work you know progressively earlier you know every day of the week <laughs> um, or whatever and then do my own thing like not have to think about it i i couldn't not invest myself fully so that didn't pan out, but I think the idea of being able to switch off is really attractive. Um, not just on the day to day in a career sense, but also like, okay, I, maybe on the whole, like I, pl- I chose this path. I don't know any people like this. So I might be describing a unicorn, but you know, I, I got this job and I'm going to do this job for 20 years, 25 years, and then I'm or 40. And then I'll retire and I'll have this packet, you know, this type of benefits and blah, blah, blah. And, and I am not required to think. And, you know, that's the guy who's building a wooden boat in his house, you know, that, or something like that. You don't, but who can put uh, um, the extra creative horsepower to use on a particular, like an interesting project um, outside of work or career or whatever. And I, I think in this day and age, it is more possible to not go that route of the sort of fixed one job, one career, one lifetime. Um, There is so much opportunity that, I mean, it's almost paralyzing in a way. 
um, because what next? You're like, well, I have a list of all of these op, you know, these things that are possible for me to do. And um, I'm just going to stare at Instagram all day, you know, or like, <laughs> like, because I can't decide because yeah. Hicks law, like too many options, you know, extends the, yeah. the decision cycle. And, and, uh, um, I, I don't know if that's a, if that's a health, if the, the, all of that opportunity, I don't know if it's a healthy thing mentally. People are pushed harder and harder to ask those, that question. Because there is a choice. There are choices and decisions and, and then trying to understand, okay, if I, if I stop doing this and I start doing this, you know, what are the potential unintended consequences of that? Like what, what, um, what is coming along with what I can see and what I can imagine. And, uh, and that's a, a lot of, it's a lot of weight to confront or carry, um, as an individual alone. Yeah. 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 It's almost like, uh, I've only had one thus far, one really major relationship breakup. Okay. But I think of it almost in the same way, like whatever it was that you dedicated yourself to was a life companion and you break up. And I, I have never talked to someone who went through a breakup with someone that they truly cared about for any duration of time and had that be easy. Like no matter the circumstances, <laughs> right? Yeah. If it matters, it matters. Right. And so like, it's deeply affecting. Yeah. When that person is in your life and part of your life, it's affecting you deeply. And you make you were making decisions every day with them in mind. Exactly. And therefore, it, the, the, the separation has an equally deep effect. Sadly, that's the part of the relationship that marks us. Yeah. Or that we consciously... Um, allow ourselves to be marked by like, I, you don't, I don't think back something, you know, somebody's asking me about one of the, one of my ex-wives the other day and, and, and I really had to stop, you know, stop and not, um, I guess focus on the negative part, like the ending, the unfinished, the, you know, because there was too much, there was so much good before that. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been, you know, so much deeply affecting good. Um, but then the taste in the mouth is always the taste at the end. Yeah. And they don't call it the bitter end for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. But you're, yeah, just your point about doing it alone or that it's not a good idea to try to do that alone. I think that's. That's really, really significant. And that's what made me think of the relationship analogy is uh, I think people that deal with it well, just from what I've seen, mm -hmm. when they end a long-term relationship, whether it's with a person or a phase in their life, a career, whatever it is, they look for support from whoever oh. their community is. Yep. Um, and that is 
one of the main points that my buddy Nick, uh, the SEAL, made is he said, um, talking talking about all of this as we do now is a major positive step because it used to be pretty taboo, especially in certain realms. Um, oh, yeah. Like how... I, I, Obviously, I've never been in that world. I think you've probably spent more time. Well, I know you've spent more time in that world. But I have to assume culturally, like, they don't necessarily talk about or historically haven't talked about all those transitions. and the, that's really, But now it seems like it's becoming okay to talk about and even celebrated to an extent, maybe, depending on who it is. Yes, no? I, I, yeah, I think there, there's, there is more open conversation. Um, but... As far as like the, the formal structure of that, mm. I don't, uh, I, I don't, yeah, I don't have, like, I'm not plugged in there. Um, it, but that is a topic that actually came up between tr Trevor and, mm. and Joe sort of about transitioning out. Like, how do you, and, and, and you see some guys just like naturally just flow yeah. and it works. Um, and other people really, really struggle. And I think it's a, a lot of it is, that it has to do with the, the crisis of identity of like, okay, because when you separate from the military, it's not like, okay, I was, I was co-located with all of my, my buddies, you know, with, with the guys that I did the coolest things in my life with. And then we scatter to the four winds and I live in Salt Lake city. My friend lives in Kansas. Another guy's like retired to Maine, this other dude, who knows where he is, but you know, we were super close and now completely lost contact. So it is an almost instantaneous divorce in a way with, um, and, and I can't fucking imagine that, yeah. you know, cause sometimes it's voluntary, sometimes not. And even if it's voluntary, it's just like, well, what now? Yeah. <laughs> it's not even what next It's like, what fucking now? Yeah. Like, and, and, um, the talking about it, I, I just think with among men, it's not um, it's always going to be difficult. You have to admit some weakness. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those are, like I am not interested in, in it, but I was sitting down with a friend Mike call the other day and we were talking about like he said uh, some pretty serious losses in the last couple of years. And, um, and some, and he said, yeah, breaking down and crying in front of my friends. It's like, if, if, if you're a man and you can, you can freely cry in front of other men, it's a fucking superpower. Mm -hmm. And I said, Mike, what do you mean? And he's just like, well, I just like take out my beating heart and hand it to him and like ask them to take care of it for a second. <laughs> and it's completely disarming. And then suddenly other people are just like, holy shit. If this guy who's my friend, who I respect, I love, I've known him for a long time is hurting so badly that he's willing to break down and cry. It must be fucking serious. And, and I need to pay attention to this not only that but he's also just allowed me to be able to express what i'm feeling and have kept suppressed because he just fucking showed me his belly he like gave me he handed me his beating heart i mean it's like it, it, and those are the only conversations i'm interested in having if somebody can't talk fuck off like <laughs> like you can ask the question you know you can you know ah, cry for help but if you're not willing to have the conversation where everybody's guts get like put out on the table and, and examined, then 
well, it's not interesting, interesting conversation because no one can grow from shallow conversation. That's why I love podcasting. And that's why I think so many, and it's not, well, like I've said before, podcasting is just the distribution method. That's why I like long form conversations like this. And I think there are so many people that use social media use online communication short yes. form i'm not going to say so yeah, yeah online short form communication it could be email whatever they they use that because it feels like the way to easily express but the tools are so subpar <laughs> compared to what we're doing right now across the table that it, look, look, yeah yeah and i just i so wish for people that they can have more of what you just described yeah. I mean, it was, um, it's, but it's tough to set up the situation to have yes. those conversations in, in, in a no sense. Yeah, exactly. We have to, and I mean, it's been really with our symposiums, um, at our space, the, like the very first one that we did under the new name or what, you know, it was kind of, kind of bullshit. The next one that we did, um, was coincident with the Red Bull 400. Mm. And I think 15 of the 17 people who were coming, you know, signed up and did it. And that was instantaneous disarming of everyone, like all the berry, everybody, you know, all cards on the table, everybody nearly puked, you know, like, and, and it was, and because of that shared hardship, despite people coming from all over the, you know, different points all over the country, some from, uh, you know, overseas, um, for that thing, instantaneous sort of bonding and enough trust where the conversation that could happen after that was, you know, I'd say we got to like medium depth that weekend, but we got there faster because of that shared hardship that happened first thing. The last symposium we just had earlier this month, you know, on the topic of free, I mean, we launched with the free will topic, i.e., you know, suicide basically 9 30 a.m saturday morning like i mean coffee was wasn't a, finished yet fucking no <laughs> coffee was being a lot of coffee was getting made that weekend <laughs> but it was it went like and i i hold michael responsible i said dude let's just maybe wait two hours next next time and he goes yeah that that went real deep real fast <laughs> um, but it also allowed us to have the those like really meaningful deep conversations without talking about you know like a bench press prog prog progression you know or or any and because the psychology underlying effort and our, you know, relationship to it is actually, I think, the interesting thing. But um, and to and, and to get there, the, I mean, the manuals that we're um, using for the symposium now, the first 10 pages are they're they're a different paper. You can actually write on the paper. They are all blank. Every one of them has a question at the top. And then we get into the material on page 11 or 12 or whatever. But it's just like, look, the, these questions are the keys to understanding why you're pursuing this sort of relationship with effort and exercise. And if you can understand that, then the how is either irrelevant or easy and only becomes hard when you um, have to 
have the outcome on a particular day at a particular level or whatever, which is yeah. part of the discussion we had with Kelly, which was, you know, yeah, you get by on, you can train on heart for a long time and have that be really effective. But if you need to perform on a particular day, then you have to schedule the training. And if you're getting close to, you know, what your potential, your physiological, your psychophysical potential is, then you need to have more structured training and a coach and that relationship to eke out, you know, when the gains stop being in the, you know, 5%, 10%, whatever, when they get down to the point where it's like, you're doing an incredible amount of work and making a 1% improvement or 2% improvement. That's when the, the structured training and the coaching is probably going to be Im important. But if you can do it on heart, um, for a long time and have it be play and exploration, then I, then I think it's, that's, um, it's really effective. It's less stress. And if with these conversations that we have in this, during the symposiums, it's a lot of it is how to like, how do I integrate this into my, you know, I'm not a professional exerciser or whatever. Like, how do I integrate that into my life? How can I use that to inform me, maybe even on a philosophical level in a way that I can apply it to life? Now, those are interesting conversations. Very, yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you hold one of these symposiums, what is the structure like? I assume that you can't have it be a round table type thing. That would be carnage. How do you... Not... Is it round table later? Is no. it... So, um, it depends. <laughs> um generally the Friday night, we try to have some type of event. Um, so Saturday conversation and dinner, more conversation, discussion. And then, um, the Sunday is, uh, there, there are sort of three different training modules that everybody goes through and, and, um, you know, one is sort of an endurance thing, how to use the artificial space to, um, in a way that you, to develop endurance. Um, and then there's a, a gymnastic movement and then a, um, a piece and then a, a strength piece, our version of, of strength, which basically has to do with appropriate, um, intensity and duration of muscular contraction, <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily requiring a barbell. I, uh, we'll be releasing a show. What's today? Saturday? Yes. In a few days on Tuesday. Okay. Um, with the head strength and conditioning trainer at Red Bull high performance. Okay. I think it will resonate and just a quick summary or, or a little nugget that sort of summarizes this guy to an extent as we were working together in the gym few weeks ago and i wanted him to check out my deadlift and squat form okay because i know he has a ton of experience and i would like to be doing these things correctly <clears throat> did a did a deadlift and uh he was kind of quiet and i said well you know how'd we do and he said that's a great deadlift like you that's a really good looking deadlift and but he was i could tell on his face that he wasn't satisfied <laughs> I was like, okay. And he's like, why, why are you doing it that way? That's what's your sport. And I said, cycling. And he said, well, 
you shouldn't be doing a deadlift well. That's not the move you need. And he adjusted the way I deadlift to be a quote unquote traditionally pretty poor deadlift, very leg dominant. Yep. And he said, here's why I think you should do a bad deadlift and talked about how it he thinks it will carry over to the bike. And for years, I've taken pride in having a great deadlift. And I was very diligent about learning from people who are quote unquote experts yeah. in form. And I go to this gym in Durango that is a CrossFit gym. Okay. Uh, I've never done a CrossFit quote unquote class. I've never, uh, I've, I'm the black sheep okay. in that gym. I do my own thing. I do a lot of CrossFit style moves with no time element. And I think I get looked at a little bit strangely sometimes. And so there's part of me that wanted to really be, you know, have great form yeah, and at least have that. And now I can't wait to go back to that gym and do a really shitty deadlift <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it's, it's what he thinks is right. Um, and so as someone that has a huge amount of background in that, I think it may be interesting to you. Okay. Um, I mean, really I, fascinating stuff. Yeah, I, I definitely, yes, I will listen <laughs> for sure. Um, I don't know. I, you know, what's funny is I don't know where y'all stand on strength and conditioning. Really? Exactly. I really no, don't. People have, people have ideas about, you know, what we think, whatever, based on things that we may or may not have taught in the past. You know, you know some of um, and we do, you know, we have taught, you know, the strength for endurance. You know, the, the two of our seminars last year were titled Strength for Endurance for Strength. Mm. So Strength for Endurance, Endurance for Strength. Because and and a lot of that is, you know, sort of intro introducing um endurance type effort, aerobic effort, let's just say lower intensity zone two type effort to stimulate oxidative processes for guys who lift heavy weight, even, you know, power lifters, Olympic lifters, CrossFit athletes, um, because of the, 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 the incredible fields of physiologic benefits that come with it. Not, you know, in, in, and the, the fact that you can do it without, you're not going to take 20 pounds off your fucking deadlift because you went and rode your bike for a little bit, you know? Yeah. And so like, um, you are in fact going to be able to train more workload though. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, you know, recover better, not only within the effort, but you know, between efforts that, that sort of thing. And, um, but you know, the science is, um, you know, there's science and there's experience, there's actual experience. And then there's, and then inject individual temperament into that. And some, you know, yeah, some endurance athletes need to feel strong, need to do things that help them feel strong because that generates a level of confidence that they might not have otherwise. Okay. I'm willing to do that as long as it's, you know, because it doesn't, you know, there's so little of the actual, even for mountain biking, which I will argue is like the, you know, apart from the straight up flying 200 or something. Um, it arguably has the fuck I'm disregarding downhill. <laughs> okay. You know, the, 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 the biggest requirement for, for physical strength, let's full say body athleticism. Full, full body athleticism. Um, and, and I'm only saying that in comparison to riding on the road. Okay. So the, where the, the physical requirements are com 
you know, yeah, you're spinning, you know, your legs are moving in circles or your feet are moving in circles, but, um, uh, but, but there's less requirement for strength there. Yeah. Can, the be, rest of can, your, can be useful. The rest of your body is a kickstand for uh, yes. the engines, uh, yeah, the two engines. The two en yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then part of it is just like a giant cavity where you keep yeah, the fuel right, supply and right, stuff, right, you know, right. like, <laughs> the, um, and, uh, so for sure, I mean, and, and I, you know, be, because of, and I've had, you know, long, a lot of discussion with Max Testa back in the day, because, you know, I had a gym and I was trying to race my bike and, and I was pushing, um, you know, because I spent so much time in the gym, it had to be beneficial for me. Therefore, I had to find a philosophically consistent position with the activity I was going to fucking do anyway. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. and so um, but it sent me down the, the you know, the, the rabbit hole of exploration. Um, you know, part of the strength for endurance thing that we taught last year was um, one of the sections. I, I don't have one of those manuals here, but I'll, I'll get you one so you can. But it has to do with um, not understanding why something worked. Mm -hmm. And if we go, um, you know, there's a whole period of time and, and the. the, the um, the, the idea, I, th I think the idea of the SFR, which the English translation badly translated is, you know, slow frequency repetition or whatever, you know, but it's just, um, but, but the Italian is, is, di is different, but conceptually the same, but I think it was Aldo Sassi that came up with it. Um, but this is still something that is used, you know, so it's a very slow cadence, sub 50 RPMs, very high load heart rate staying in, you know, in the aerobic zone. Um, never developing muscular acidity, the intervals get progressively longer. And it's the, the idea, the reason that, um, people were, have been thinking to do it is that it is very, very specific form of strength training because the resistance is so, so high and you're not developing acidity. So it is purely sort of muscular contraction, maybe fatiguing the most easily recruited muscle fibers and then getting, having access to deeper and deeper, um, uh, um, sort of mus muscle fibers that, that, that are harder to stimulate and bring to the party. Um, but the re but if you start reading the research about it, it, so you think you're, you're doing that to develop strength. Um, and, 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 and you do, but it's not because necessarily because of the contraction, the, the resistance that you're pushing against, um, which is greater than you will ever have to push against. Um, it's, it has to do with the localized ischemia and the body's response to sort of increased capillary density, um, as well as the sort of length of the capillary network and the, the, the thinness, the, the, the fees of the, the, the ease with which, um, the oxygen is being offloaded for use at the, in, in, in the muscle cell. And so the, the, the idea had, you know, it's just like, I want to understand the, the why of things and to, to realize like, oh, you're never so, so you are voluntarily introducing this ischemia to cause these changes. It's not, and that could probably happen at a lower contraction um, intensity than the one prescribed by, you know, most people. And if you look, you know, different people are talking about different levels of resistance. You know, it's, I, I think it was, you know, okay, 
a, a pro, I think Alex Sassy's thing was like a pro cyclist, you know, a 5312 is the right, you know, you know, not 11, but 12 is the right, you know, whatever. Like it's, it's, you know, it's a tall gear, but, uh, um, and, but it's, you know, but, but maybe these days it's like, okay, you're, it's, it's the resistance you're using on a power meter. Maybe it's, it's your five minute power that you're trying to maintain, um, for the duration of these, these intervals. And it's, but but there was so there's a fundamental misunderstanding. The only way to progress the thing is if you understand why it's working correctly, mm. right? If you're thinking that it is the resistance and my, um, you, you know, that that matters, that it's like me pushing against it is developing, you know, the ability to contract at a higher rate, or you know, um, and that's giving me like a really stomp on those pedals, you know, when it comes to that or whatever. Like if you think it's an increase in strength that is the, the, the beneficial part, then you progress the training in a way that may not be as effective as if you actually if you understood the fact that, OK, this work causes this condition, which is developing, you know, the, the capillary density and efficiency I love, love, love this point, Mark. This, you're, what you're describing right now is something that I've, you're, you're putting it into words far better than I have thus far. And it's a point that I feel very passionate about. So all right. one, thing, <laughs> one thing that just as an analogy, so let's use this first and of all. And, and mitochondrial efficiency also is, for sure. is, 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 a, is a byproduct of that particular method. Bust. So quick side, no, I love that SFR uh, is the first, middle, and last letters in the word suffer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but just yes. But also, um, uh, basically, so to, to carry that further, someone who doesn't understand the physiology might think, okay, to make this better, I will do uh, 45 RPMs instead of 55. Or, but someone that does understand the phys physiology will say, no, I will maintain 55 RPMs, but I will do the effort longer. Right. Is that maybe a way to interpret it? Well, it, it could be that. But Just it's as also, an example. But in the 45 to 55 range, I think in, in some ways that is, um, let's just say that the, 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 the cadence, um, I think it should be, you know, there's like, here's the left and right limit, you know, don't go above 55. Um, and, or, you know, I don't know what people are using, but it was, all, you know, it was for me, but let's just say around 50. I don't think there's a functional difference between 45 and 55, you know, in the, in the outcome. But I think in a physiological sense, you might be better, you know, depending on limb length and the suppleness, you know, the, the you know, how you normally relate to the bike might, might help decide for you, which is, um, which is better, you know, more comfortable for you for the duration of the interval. Is it 45 or is it 55? Um, but that's in, th those are details there that, um, sort of increasing the resistance. Let's just say, okay, I'm, I'm at 50 RPMs and I can, you know, I I'm doing eight by three minutes with two minutes recovery or whatever, um, at 300 Watts. How do I progress that? Do I go four minutes? Eight by four minutes, eight by five, eight by six. If I can do eight by six, well, then do I go back down? Do I put it at 350 watts and go back down to eight by three? Or do I increase the number? Like, how am I doing this? Am I, am I, how am I manipulating the, 
the, the, the stress in order to cause the adaptation I'm looking for. Yeah. What, what physiology uh, are you training? You, well, yeah. yes. What adaptation am yeah. I trying to cause? Yeah. Um, well, how have I, you know, how have I underperformed? Like all of this stuff, but before we get to a discussion, before any rider would get to a discussion of like the value, you know, the difference between 45, 50 or 55 RPMs, they, they, you know, it's not, you have to be, have to have identified a problem that you're trying to fix and that this particular intervention is the way, is the solution to fix that. And, and I think many people in the beginning, they have, they, they never look at it and understand the adaptation they're trying to cause using these different training mechanisms or means, whether it's on the bike or in the gym. And for, for sure, there is a, um, and there, there is a discussion to, to, to be had about, you know, sadly, let's just say general fitness, not specific to cycling, you know, the, the implication in the fitness magazines is if you look a certain way, you will perform a certain yes, way. Yes, another wonderful point. It's fucking bullshit. Which and is also like, why people are depriving themselves of the fuel that makes them better, but makes them instead makes them look better. An aesthetic geared diet versus a performance diet yeah well let's that's a but, side, but, but, let's, yeah. but let's just say um vanity is a super powerful motivator <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah and if it gets people to um not be a burden on the uh the medical system <laughs> um, then more power to like that's fucking awesome but just because you look a certain way, you know, because when I was training guys for movies a lot, you know, I would I would get I had a public email address and I would get people, you know, people would send me their picture. You know, they'd want to know what were some of them would just be like, I want Jason Momoa's or Henry Cavill's or, you know, whatever. What's this 300 Spartan workout? You know, this that you know, like they would want the workout. But a lot of them, you know, every now and then there'd be some dude, aspiring actor, you know, sends me some physique photos, you know, and I'm just like. Okay, we're taking actors and making them look a certain way. We're not taking people who look a certain way and trying to teach them how to act. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, okay, one way is a, you know, is a really long road. Like, you look a certain way, and they that's your identity, and you're tied to that. What if we? Okay, how about how about we go De Niro style, and you put on like 150 fucking pounds for a role? You know, I mean, the way that that guy. When, if you look at him in Taxi Driver and then Raging Bull, you just go, okay, that's a huge sort of transformation. Not And and if your identity is tied to being the guy with the six pack or eight pack or whatever you got and the, um, you know, broad shoulders, narrow waist, then that's not a role you'd ever sign on for. Nor could you do it because you can't fucking act, let's say. And so I, I think there's a confusion between sort of appearance and performance. There's a confusion yes. but between, um, you know, performance and health. Yes. Absolutely. Because if you are training to perform, you are have you are often negatively impacting your health. Yes. And so, okay, accept it. Yeah, I'm going to coast through the rest of my life or go through the rest of my life, you know, with my overly enlarged heart because of what I've done in the past. You know, it's like, yeah, that's a condition I trained into myself in order to do what I was necessary for me, you know, um, as an individual. Okay. Yeah. Did, does does all the training that I did um, has that made me any healthier now? Yeah. Potentially on a cardiovascular level, 
but I've had two shoulder reconstructions, three knee surgeries. I've got a permanently broken angle. The only, you know, the, the right, right now, the diet, you know, the, the prognosis is the only thing you can do is fuse it. And I've got a hip replacement. Do I sound fucking healthy? <laughs> <laughs> like did all that training and exercise make me a, no, it, uh, it, it allowed me to do the thing that caused the orthopedic issues later. Yep. <laughs> so, um, so I, I think that idea of like, okay, I'm using these training means to, 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 um, cause a particular adaptation. If you don't identify the adaptation, then it doesn't matter what you do. Like, and, uh, and, and so I think, and, and I would say that, you know, I used to think the deadlift was a pretty good thing for cycling. Um, can be a lot of, there's, there, there, are positive benefits from um, the, the sort of core to limb integrity, holding position on the bike. It's not going to allow you to express more strength. It's not going to, you know, it's, it's, it, well, it may for longer because you can hold your position for, you know, you can hold a compromised position for longer. Maybe that, you know, you're using the, um, the musculature around the hip girdle that you build to hold yourself in position so that you can relax your upper body and not actually fight your, the tension in your intercostal muscles so you can fill your lungs for longer. So maybe that is a, you know, an added benefit. I think there's a lot of benefit from certain types of strength training for endurance athletes and how you go about that, what the science says, what the meta analyses say of, you know, all of these different interventions that have been tried, um, you know, deadlift is a pretty slow, it, it, it could be a useful movement. I don't think it, personally, I don't think it's worth the risk. Mm -hmm. The snatch would be absolutely one of, because of the explosiveness, the whole, you know, sort of core to limb integrity, the body position that you have to, you know, hold the fact that you are manipulating, you are moving your body around the tool just as in the same way that you move your body around the bike, that there is a absolutely correct line that the barbell travels in the same way that there is a correct line going through any corner on a bike. Mm -hmm. Like all of these things, you can find the line or you can fight the line, whether it's with a barbell or with a bike. And um, so I think the snatch would be a great thing, but if you're in the peak of your, but it will take years to learn. And taking the years to learn it in order to make it an effective tool is time that you're not spending practicing other things that may be more effective. So if it's the most effective thing, um, you still might not do it. Yep. Because you don't have the like the, the 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 physical you don't know that physical language. So what are the intervent? You know, and the deadlift is always the go-to for strength coaches for endurance athletes because it's the easiest thing to teach. It's the easiest thing to convince the endurance athlete. It's the one movement where they make progress the fastest, mm -hmm. which renders the strength coach indispensable yeah. to the endurance athlete because you've demonstrated progress. Whether it translates or not doesn't fucking matter, but that guy's got a client now. And that's, you know, unless you're working for an organization where the number of clients that, you, that come through the door doesn't matter. I'm just going to hypothesize that at Red Bull, the strength and conditioning guy has a job, whether he has a hundred clients or 10 clients, doesn't matter. He has a job and he's doing that work totally different than somebody who's trying to get people through the door, keep the fucking lights on. Yeah. So, um, I, I think there are, there, there are, are things that are useful and, and, and many of those strength exercises in the gym come with X amount of risk. Right. And if you're, if you're a great, 
bike racer generally means you've got long femurs. Okay, long femurs ain't great for a back squat. <laughs> yeah. Right? It puts, I mean, be, be, because of where the levers are, con, you know, the length of the levers concentrating the load, I mean, your, the, your back is more at risk than it would be. If the, you could choose another movement, you, I mean, if even a front squat's safer because the, um, because the, like the, the moment arm is, you know, you, the position's a, a bit shorter. You're not required to hinge so, you know, so much. Um, and it, there's even, you know, there's, there's even better movements. But if you look at like, okay, physiology of certain athletes coming into the gym to use these implements, which have not changed in, you know, I, I mean, the ones, unfortunately, the ones that, that have been adapted you know, they're, they're modern, you know, the, the machines, not the tools, um, the machines are, un, are, are unhelpful in, in a way, um, because you're not, well, for a variety of reasons, yeah, let's, that's just, let's just say, worms. Yeah, can of worms. Yeah. Um, but, but to, to see the way individuals relate to the tools differently based on their, their own physiology is, you know, not everyone should back squat for, and for, and, and there was a you know, number of NFL teams who, um, that, that just like, I mean, when Chad Hall was at the, who we used to train was, um, at the Philadelphia Eagles, you couldn't back squat in the Eagles gym. Whoa. They would allow you to do it on your own. You just, it's just not a movement that is permitted in the organization. Interesting. Some other organizations like, nope, you do not back squat because they know that this is with the character of the people who play that sport, this is the one that is going to become competitive. Yep. And, you know, this, they are already competitive individuals. Let's not, um, let's leave that for the playing field. Let's not try and, you know, they're going to get hurt. Hopefully it happens out there, not, you know, in training, like you're training to perform better. Yeah. The training is not the performance. Yeah. And you just uh, made so many wonderful big picture points there that I think about well, often, and I'm going to try to, there are three <laughs> that I, I want to try to hit again. Okay. So the last one is, is, is health versus performance. I think it's, uh, I've heard that there are world tour road cyclists who go to the grocery store with a backpack and put their food, the groceries they get in that backpack. So they don't, don't have to use their arms to carry grocery bags. So that they lose an extra half kilo or whatever to increase their watts per kilo. That is optimization to the max. Good for them. That's what that's what makes them happy. Awesome. Probably urban legend also. Well, I, I mean, I know I mean, for a fact that there is one high profile guy okay. that does it. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a joke we often used to make of like, that's why you have a partner because they carry the groceries <laughs> for you. Like you need a backpack then. Yeah. But, um, but the only way that, you know, carrying groceries or any of that, those interventions, like even strength training in the gym, like I can make you stronger without putting on any weight. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it, this is caloric manipulation, right? Does that make, is it, does that alleviate your concerns as a power to weight athlete? Like if you know you could get stronger without, um, without gaining any weight. Okay. Yeah. Seems if, if power to weight is an important thing, but can you then actually express that newfound power or that newfound strength? You, can you turn that newfound strength into power? 
and then apply that effectively in the moment when it is necessary. Yeah. Okay. Now I just say fucking carry the groceries because <laughs> that just opened an even different can of worms. Um, but yeah, let's say so optimization to yeah, the max. So optimization there. And then you have, um, and, but, but it's, and some may argue, oh, that's unhealthy. Right. Because that, I mean, you see many of those old pictures of Michael Rasmussen, right. you know, when he was like, like had just turned himself into Skeletor. I mean, yeah. One of the greatest, you know, guys going uphill on a bike mountain or road, you know, Ever, but, yeah. uh, it, and regardless of the tainted history, you know, all the, you know, blah, blah, blah. We won't go there. Um, but, but you look at him and you're just like, okay, that is optimization to the max, but he does look like he hasn't eaten in probably six months. And so super top performance on the bike. Very, very specific. Get him off the bike. Unhealthy. Correct. Like you identify that person just visually as unhealthy. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and got the fucking cardiovascular release. He's probably not unhealthy. Yeah. He just doesn't have a six, you know, actually he still did have a six pack. Cause there was just no like, fat. Cause there was no fat. You know, it's just like, it's a little six pack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, there's, there's optimization to the max where it's all, all, all performance oriented. And then I feel like I can do this because I have many, many friends in the CrossFit world. But one, one trend I see in CrossFit culture is a prioritization of aesthetic and a diet that prioritizes aesthetic mm -hmm. and doesn't prioritize actually getting stronger or more capable at what they're even theoretically training to do. And so that's, those are different goals. And yes. whether someone understands that they're hamstringing their physical gains for aesthetic or not, it's making them happy. Yay. Great. Yes. It also may be make what makes them money. Fair. Fair. Because <laughs> people buy appearance, not performance. Right. Like if you're going to buy something associated, it's like, I want to, no one ever says, I want to do that. Yeah. They say, I want to look like that. Mm -hmm. And this is a, and this is, I mean, you know, if, if the, the, you know, motto for our podcast and our whole organization is fitness is fucked. It's exactly that kind of thing is that the idea of selling appearance as performance, but appearance, Hey, if, if, if performance is identified as financial success, <laughs> then appearance can lead, right. can be directly, um, can directly affect a performance. Yeah. And so then tying all of this back to SFR in a way, the point I'm trying to make here is I don't think if someone wants to eat with aesthetic in mind versus performance and it makes them happy. Awesome. If Michael yes. Rasmussen wants to win the Tour de France and starve himself and he's unhealthy for it. Awesome. I would say whether it's that example, whether it's someone in a CrossFit gym eating, so they have a six pack, but they never actually are able to do more pull-ups or, uh, uh, whether it's a Tour de France rider making their arms wither away. So they win the tour. Um, who cares? Because it might be that with that setup, that's the only way that they're going to do anything. Yeah. Like be, just temperament wise, yeah. um, I, you know, there's some, some people who are going to, uh, respond well to this, to the structure and those details and, you know, okay, I train by science and there are, you know, some people who are going to train by feel. And I, I mean, there was a, it's some years ago now. I'm just I'm going to say 2009, 2010, when um, 
the guy who was in charge of all the training at quick step just said, all right, no more power meters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going by heart rate and very frequent blood testing. Yeah. Like we're going to go like, so you are going to go by heart rate. You're going to go by perceived exertion and we are going to monitor how that affects the physiology because his idea was that like, look, we're too wrapped up in these numbers. Those numbers are going to, and, and, and the way that we chase them, express them, whatever, are going to affect people in a different way. The only way that we know how people are being affected by their training is by um, sampling their interior to a performance. <laughs> are you number one, two or three? <laughs> um, and, and then but in the lead up to that, like, OK, let, let's see what someone's internal physiologic condition is like after having doubled up on the SFRs and making them harder than they were supposed to be like versus the person who kept in the zone and then did three days straight. Like that's a measurable, um, there are measurable biological markers that would, uh, you know, identify the adaptation that was occurring. And I, I think it's a, it's, it's a shame when somebody goes, Oh, that guy had so much potential. He never fulfilled it. Like, well, but maybe he couldn't. Right. Right. Like maybe the thing, maybe being in the zone that made him happy that was, was the success. The, was the success rather than yeah. the contract, the performance, the, you know, yeah. uh, whatever. And, like, exactly. And that's what, that is why I don't have a problem with someone eating for aesthetic rather than performance, unless they're preaching it as gospel. <laughs> Rabbit hole. <laughs> like, yeah, proselytizing is the, is, is, yeah. like, because, um, so do you also, sorry, do you also agree that, is it just me or is this thing, is there this thing, I, I hate to, to speak in generality, but is there, is there this thing where CrossFit is often mostly an anaerobic activity, but it is often fueled with only aerobic type fuel? Like paleo, keto, whatever, low, low carb. You're you're running an F1 car on diesel. It does is that a frequent or, thing? Or okay. Even if the, even if the answer is yes. Yeah. Um, so what? No, for you, sure. No, for sure. I mean, I get, I get the, I get, yeah. I get what you're, what you're saying, because that would go, the types of efforts that they're doing, the, 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 you know, top performance, top performance performers are engaging in, you would think, okay, these are predominantly in this particular energy system that is fueled by stored glycogen or carbohydrate yeah. because of the intensity yeah. of it. Um, Maybe they've discovered something. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's kind of why I'm asking. I, I mean, part of it is is like, okay, the the um, I I think that exogenous ketones are more interesting uh, for endurance performance, but they are not uninteresting uh, as a, as a fuel source for other activities. For sure. So there could be something there. There could be. Also, um, underreporting. <laughs> That's the best of, way I've heard. It. I'm of, not of, of actual, but because 
Because I don't, I mean, I'm, we have a, a space, yeah. number of CrossFit competitors, you know, train there. I mean, Aaron and, uh, I mean, they just, her team, they just went down to Australia and won the tribal clash competition. And, and which is essentially it's, there are not, there, there, you don't have the tip, typical Olympic lifting or more technical movements that are standard CrossFit competition, but it does happen on the beach and it's really lovely the teams, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of hard work. Um, and like, I don't know anyone who is performing at the highest level, who is, you know, on a very low carb diet. Okay. Right. And, because, and, and maybe to get there, maybe to maintain the aesthetic, maybe in their coaching practice, their nutritional guidance practice, maybe it's a different sort of thing, but then we are eating ourselves in a very different way yeah. than what is right for someone. Oh, you're trying to lose weight. Well, this is the, yeah. you know, but I'm trying to perform next weekend. Yeah. My diet's going to be different. Or maybe it's, um, you know, type of thing where you're following a diet, which is um, largely, I mean, paleo includes carbs. Right, for sure. You no, know, I mean a, totally. a, a paleo diet for athletes. You know, whatever it it it, it has to, and you can't. Um, and even when people are structuring, if they're, if they're athletes and they're trying to perform, when they structure intermittent fasting, the feeding intervals are different than they would be for someone trying to lose weight. You could you know lose weight. You're going nineteen five for your male, maybe you know fifteen fourteen to fifteen hours fasting if you're female. Um, but like a typical performance, you know. Uh, interval structure for eating would be a 16, eight, where you come off your 16 hour fast, you eat a meal, you let it digest, you do your training, you eat a meal to recover. And then you go into your fast again, which, um, which the 19.5 doesn't really allow you to do. Um, so I, I, you know, people are going at it in a, in a different way. And I think there, I mean, there's such individual biology when it it comes to not only the physical training, but the nutrition and, you know, to fuel performance and recovery, um, that, that people have to really find their own way. And that's why there is no, like, it's, that's why, um, I mean, I could never base, you know, really coach more than five or six people at a time because I have to have these conversations all the time. Yeah. You know, th these things are so in individual. Um, you're going to love I, this episode with, with the Red Bull. Hybrid. Okay. Cause the, the first time I worked with him, I called him or texted him before I even got in the gym. And I said, so what are we going to do today? And he said, I don't know. We've never, we've never worked together. Yeah. Nice. And yeah. I, was like, I was like, Oh, okay. And then we just moved around in the gym together for an hour. Yeah. And he didn't even have anything in mind. And he didn't start, quote unquote, programming mm -hmm. until the second or third hour. And then he just started making shit up is what it seemed like. And I realized, well, yeah, that's how you have to do it. People with a lot of experience can make up things on the fly and have them be very effective. I mean, because like that first hour spent moving around, he's he's watching you move. He's yeah. looking at um I mean, I'm working with a guy right now, for example, who a really, really, really good rock climber. And we did initial physical assessment and went to the rock gym and watched him move and then went to our space and put him through sort of battery of tests. And I'm just like, huh? It's really amazing that <laughs> you can do what you do with as fucked up as you are. <laughs> I mean, I say, and I say that kind of sarcastically, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. but, but 
all of the sport, like top level sport performance comes with imbalances, develops and reinforces them. And oftentimes those are the things that help an athlete do the sport better. But also the human organism is remarkably plastic. Mm -hmm. And despite like, if you think about, and this is just a, a silly example, but if you think about rock climbing really high level, so overhanging, like small holds, right? Big, powerful moves. You'd think there'd be a lot of biceps involved because it's all fucking pulling. Yep. Yeah. And so identifying a remarkable biceps weakness in this individual is like, okay, how is this happening? <laughs> like, what is he compensating with in order to pull? And then to actually see the movements, you know, watch him move and realize like, oh shit, he doesn't know how to engage his lats. Hmm. Like, like these things aren't working in an integral way. So I noticed that. And then we start making up exercise. Like, okay, I need this to, to rewire some neurological patterns here so that he can actually speak to those muscles and have them assist, you know, in, instead of just sort of being offline and being compensated, something which, which is being compensated for. Um, and it's been in the last sort of three months, just watching his progress based on the, like identifying what, I mean, let's just say that he's run into a ceiling in, in terms of performance. It's a fucking high ceiling, <laughs> right? Like a lot of people would be super satisfied, you know, climbing mid to hard 514, right? But he knows there's more and he and recognized not only maybe some physical issues, but some psychological things. And so that's what we work on. And, and over the last three months, just watching like the whole body integrity develop has been really wild. And I'll be very excited in, you know, six weeks or whatever, when he starts going outside and actually trying hard um, or getting ready to try hard to see if, you know, it, it has changed the style that he climbs with or the types of routes that um, are sort of available to him because uh, in rock climbing um, like that, you know, the, the body's physiology, like, like there, there are... A, a, a route that's mid 514 can be comprised of, you know, a fuck ton of, you know, 513 technical movements strung together in a row. So lower technical difficulty, but it all adds up to being that that, that technical grade. Um, or it can be, you know, very like moves that are seriously mid 514, but fewer of them. Maybe that's just the most difficult sequence or whatever. So, um, because, uh, the Scott, Sam, um, Elias, because he, he's not like a powerful climber, he's like, Oh yeah, the, the, the hard routes that I do, they're more endurance quote based routes, like stringing together, less technical moves. Um, and because of his limb length and the, and that sort of thing, like there are certain routes that he's adapted to. If we give him a different set of skills, then maybe more powerful routes are, are more accessible or maybe the interns routes become easier, you know, because of that. But, but, but it's just like, that's what the, the guy at Red Bull HQ was watching, you know, in the first sort of hour, he's like, Oh, okay. And, and maybe he understands the actual sport, 
but maybe not. Yeah. Like there's no, like I can somewhat understand hard technical rock climbing, but I think it's the rare individual who can understand um, a sport to the degree that is necessary and then communicate and apprehend an individual who does that sport and then develop a set of supporting artificial work in the gym. Yeah. Like all of a sudden we've just described a journey, which is too great for most people to make. And so it's, so that's why I said it is rare. So if he has a pretty good idea of like what terms, you know, the, the power and effort and or the intensity and duration demands of the sport are how power is produced on a bike completely different than any other sport. Um, because who would believe that you could produce more power at lower resistance and higher cadence? It doesn't make sense. Like, no, you make power by like there's a fundamental misunderstanding about how yeah. how power gets created until you spend enough time on a bike and you're like, well, f fucking doing the, the deadlift in the gym or back squats in the gym and getting stronger. Yeah, that's probably OK for the you know, that probably actually works for the track cyclist. Single leg step ups weighted will probably work even better depending on the joint angle, it, you know, it's a, a number of things, but, but if you, the, the way that you make power on a bike, I mean, it's fucking crazy. And there's no way to replicate that right. in any artificial situation. Right. And so you're, so we're just looking at stuff always like as supporting in nature. Yeah. Um, you know, okay, let's create a foundation that, okay, don't, you know, don't hurt them. <laughs> um, that's what, it, that's what Tyler it, always says <laughs> about working with rebel athletes. As he said, I was just given keys to a really, really nice sports car. Don't scratch it. It's already badass. Yeah. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put a premium in, please. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> oh man. Um, Shall we go exert? Pardon? Shall we go exert? We should. All of this I, talk of exertion is making me want to actually do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Unless you had another thought I, or to, to finish your thought. I, I don't. Um, I feel like this is just another installment in an ongoing conversation. Oh, and it it's will really be for sure. For fucking sure. cool. It's really fun. I mean, really fun. And, and so one thing. Yeah, I'm going to circle back to the Invincible yes, song. Please. Um, Everyone go listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> Great record. Very, very. And this particular track, it's pretty interesting. And, and um, so at some point in the text conversation with Rebecca Rush, mm -hmm. I sent her the lyrics to that song. And she wrote me back. She goes, I'm not ready for that yet. Whoa. And I'm just like, yes, you're <laughs> such a fucking badass. And it's so true. It, yeah. Yeah, because she's in a, like today. I think there's she's starting the whole Alaska thing, you know. And, and but then then a couple of months later, she sent me a text. She said, "I'm flying to Memphis to see Tool." <laughs> no and, way, that's awesome. I, I mean, it, 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 come, those are unrelated, yeah. in in a, in a way. But so Rebecca's uh, clearly not ready to be invincible. Um, and uh, and and she is when it comes to athletic longevity. There's someone who's an example, a shining example of what can be, what can be done. And she's 
the, the fire she still has is incredible. Still bright. Made even more impressive by her uh, ability to very effectively pursue all of the non-athletic stuff. Yes. Like the ability, I mean, it would be one thing to stay that capable as an athlete who's focusing on, yes. Yeah. (laughs) She's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. 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 All right. So I guess we're both members of the Rebecca Rush Fan Club. And uh, with that, Rebecca, let's go ride bikes. Let's go ride bikes for the first time ever together, side by side. I think we've been in the same group. Yes. Ish. Yeah. For a short period of time. <laughs> yeah, clustered around a start line around the same time. Yeah. Thanks as always, Mark. Cool. Looking Thank forward to episode four already. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> thank you all for listening. And thank you to Whoop. Whoop. There it is. Kind of feel like I have to say it like that. I mean, how cool a name is Whoop. Just gives you some hype right off the bat. But I promise you'll get even more hyped when you hear about everything that Whoop does. It's this very tiny little wearable, uh, much smaller than a watch. I've, I've worn watches in the past that, you know, honestly are a little bit cumbersome and the strap gets annoying. Uh, when you shower, you know, water uh, gets under the strap and can be kind of an irritant. But I've not had that experience at all with this little Whoop strap. Super light, forget it's there which is extra incredible based on how much data it collects from your body and then beams over to the app on your phone, crunches all these numbers, such as your heart rate data, your respiratory rate data, your heart rate variability data, which is a little bit of a complicated physiological phenomenon, but basically it's how much variability there is between your heartbeats, which is an indicator of how rested you are. That's a super, super oversimplification. It also records all of your activity on its own automatically. Um, If I roll out the garage for a bike ride, my Whoop just automatically recognizes that I'm on a bike ride, sees my heart rate elevated, records all that, and inputs it into its insane algorithm that I don't understand and uh, becomes part of the equation that tells you how much strain you put your body under that day thus giving you recommendations on how much sleep you need that night. It also tracks sleep very specifically. So it gives you your how much time you spent in REM sleep, deep sleep, light sleep, how many times you woke up in the middle of the night. I'm sure we've all you know, woken up one morning and thought, man, I don't think I really got a great night's sleep. I wonder how many times I did wake up or I wonder how much time I actually spent in deep sleep. Whoop can tell you all that. Um, and it aggregates it all on this really cool app that's super data heavy. It actually took me a little longer to familiarize myself with than I expected because there's so much information on that app. But uh, this Whoop has completely changed the way I'm, I'm living day to day and has been already an enormous asset, both in terms of my athletic stuff and then just general health and well-being um, across the board. If y'all would like to get your hands on a Whoop strap, they're offering a special discount to the Adventure Stash listeners by using code PAYSON for 15% off. You can go to whoop.com slash PAYSON. Get yourself 15% off. I said that very oddly. 15% off. Let there be no confusion. Thanks also to Lily McKelvin, my dear editor and producer of this show, for churning these episodes out each and every week. Thank you all for listening. Catch you next week.